Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you today on Valentine's Day, where we celebrate St. Valentine, who has become the patron saint of consumerized love. Hey, we are wrapping up our sermon series, Embracing Our Name 2.1. We believe that God is calling us to do that very thing as Tulare Community Church. We want to embrace our city and our county. We want to embrace that we exist in and as community. We want to embrace what it means to be the church. Several biblical principles have been guiding our time throughout this series. We want to be contributors and not consumers, multipliers, not maintainers, a church, not a social club. We're seeking the one while loving the 99. We're maturing from milk to meat, and finally, as we are embracing our name, we want to be about belonging. Our time today will revolve around what the Bible says about what it means to belong. Galatians 3 will tell us what it means to belong within the Christian faith, and it will shine light on three things, an instinct, a curse, and a promise. So I invite you to now pay attention to how Galatians 3 is walking us through those three things as we read together the word of the Lord. It says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. 
Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither nor is there male and female. For you all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Say thanks be to God. We have an instinct, a curse, and a promise. Now we know how Pastor Shane feels about dodgeball already, but there's a reason that dodgeball compels all of us to react one way or another. Picture yourself on your elementary school playground. There's 12 kids. The two most athletic are chosen as captains to pick teams. Now as the captains call out names one by one, which does no one want to be? My wife and I uh, are getting a dog next month, and so we naturally bought a book called The Art of Raising a Puppy. And when puppies are born, the order of birth usually determines a puppy's place in the litter. You know which puppy you don't want to be? Okay, you walk into your first ever consistory meeting here at TCC, and after you look around, shake some hands, it dawns on you. You know the guy who you don't want to be at your very first ever consistory meeting at TCC? All of us have an instinct to belong. We want to belong, which means we don't want to be the last kid picked for the dodgeball game. We don't want to be the runt of the litter, and we definitely don't want to be the guy from Carmel who shows up to his first consistory meeting at TCC wearing Lululemon pants instead of jeans. We have an instinct to belong. In the movie Coach Carter, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Coach Carter, implements Benchmarks, requirements for his players of the Richmond High School basketball team. GPA, dress code. Some of the players uh, balk at these requirements and they quit the team. One in particular, Timo Cruz, ends up seeing the team bonding and winning games and he asks Coach Carter if he can rejoin the team. Sure, is the answer. You can join, but you have to do 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 wind sprints by Friday. Well, Mr. Cruz's face falls because today is Friday, and yeah, Mr. Cruz begins running, doing push-ups while the team practices, and as practice ends, Mr. Cruz is nowhere near his goal, but he keeps working anyway, and in the scene where any man watching the film has to do that weird chuckle-cough thing to mask their tears, his teammates, seeing how hard he's trying, offer to do push-ups and wind sprints for him. Now, I love this movie, and we love this movie and movies like it. Directors and producers know that we love this, and they make movies with similar premises because they all all touch on the same thing. We have an instinct to belong, and we'll do whatever it takes to do that. 
We work hard to earn our place on the team, to earn our place at work, to earn our place in our social spheres, and we even try to earn our place in our families and in our marriages. We will run as many wind sprints and do as many push-ups as it takes to ensure that we belong. We have an instinct to not only ensure our place of belonging in the world, but beyond it as well. No matter where you find yourself in relation to Christianity today, you are listening to this because you have an instinct to figure out your place in the scheme of the universe. This instinct is not unlike many of the Christians in the church of Galatia that Paul is writing to in our scripture passage today. Our passage begins, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? When we interpret scripture, we must always understand the context, right? The church in Galatia, a region of Asia Minor, uh, is made up of migrants, Jews and Gentiles alike from all over the place. The entire book of Galatians is essentially Paul admonishing the Galatians on account of these reports that Paul has heard about the Christians there. The reports aren't great. The Galatians have heard the gospel. They've been told that religious truth lies within Christianity. They've been told that Christianity is centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if Paul is so upset, uh, maybe the Galatians have turned their back on the faith. Maybe they're enjoying strong drink a little too frequently, or they're getting into trouble with the local authorities. I mean, Paul's obviously furious, but he's certainly not furious because the Galatians aren't doing enough. In fact, they're doing too much. Verses 2 to 6 say this. They say, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by your believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now Paul is saying, what are you thinking? Is faith not enough for you? Is what Jesus did not enough for you? Ah, but they have an instinct, and it's an instinct that we all share, an instinct that we can't shake, an instinct that is also a curse. Paul puts it this way in verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Whether in 1st century Galatia or 21st century Teleri, we love wind sprints and push-ups because we love to feel assured that we've done all we can to belong. We assure ourselves that we aren't a phony, that we aren't a fraud, that when push comes to shove... We've done our time, and our place is secure. For the Israelites, that meant adhering to the law, but before the law was creation, right? In Genesis 2 and 3, when God creates Adam and Eve, the only rule is that they cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, but the serpent who is there convinces them otherwise. Verses 4 to 5, four to five say this, they say, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Adam and Eve belonged. They were in harmony with God. But even in the beginning, that same instinct raged. He said, if I eat from the tree, then I can be 100% sure of what is good and what is bad. And then, 
I'll know exactly what I need to do to ensure that I belong. Push-ups and wind sprints. This is the curse. We can't simply be told that we belong. We have to know for ourselves by doing all that we can. Fast forward 14 chapters to Genesis 17, verses 1 to 5. It says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations." God has initiated a covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's descendants, and God promises that all of Abraham's offspring will be his people and they will belong to God. Okay, great. We say, looks like they got everything hammered out, right? Well, over the next few dozen chapters, the Israelites essentially say, yeah, okay, God, I know you say that we belong to you, but how do we really know? And God replies, uh... I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I parted the Red Sea. I've sustained you for 40 years as you wander around in the wilderness, complaining the whole time. Hmm, okay, but how do we know for sure? Well, as Paul tells us in Galatians, 430 years after the covenant, God gives the Israelites the law. Essentially says, hey, you want to do it? Knock yourselves out. But don't say that I didn't warn you. Okay, the law tells the Israelites exactly what they need to do to be good, to be righteous. The only caveat, they have to do all of the works essentially perfectly all the time. Paul explains in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. To live by the law is a curse because it requires ensuring one's place in the infinite by finite means. To try to ensure one's place within eternity by doing all the right things, striving to belong, is to race towards infinity without ever arriving. When Alexander the Great invaded Asia, he consolidated power through the ancient Oriental idea that rulers were gods. Rulers would liberate their subjects, as only gods can, by enslaving them. And as long as you obeyed the rules of the gods who ruled, you'd be fine. So in Galatia, when Paul comes to town and says that Jesus has done everything for them and that their salvation is not in their own works, but in his, Paul's words would have been interpreted as revolutionary. And we can laugh and say, man, that sounds like a crazy time, but I wonder if we're actually all that different. We say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but if I'm honest... It doesn't actually sit super great with me that my salvation is outside of my control. We say, well, aren't there like some opportunity, like volunteer opportunities I can get involved with or maybe some extra spiritual homework I can do just to make sure that I belong in eternity? Push-ups and wind sprints are good and necessary in our sanctification. That's what Pastor Shane was talking about last week. We, We need to mature spiritually. But if we live under the pretense that push-ups and wind sprints are needed so that we can belong to God, to his family, to his covenant, then we live under the curse of the law, never actually reaching our goal no matter how hard we try. 
And if this instinct is present not only within us and within the Galatians, and can be traced all the way to the beginning of humankind, then what hope do we have of escaping the curse that we so willfully live into? Well, actually, Paul tells us that there is more than just hope, that there's a promise. Verses 17 to 18 put it this way. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. God's covenant with Abraham, the inheritance of all his descendants of salvation, is not based on works. It is based on God's grace. Okay, we're starting to track, but I still don't think I can trace my lineage back to Abraham. I mean, I'm definitely not Jewish, right? So how can I belong to the inheritance? Well, listen closely to verses 7 and 9. I say, Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The heirs of the covenant, the the children of God, are those who have the same faith as their spiritual father, Abraham. The children of Abraham are the children of faith. To have faith is to be Abraham's heir, and to be Abraham's heir is to belong to the promise of salvation. And yet, right, we still have this instinct to earn our own place. We choose to live under the curse of the law, of works. And if Paul says in our passage that the law is not based on faith, then where do we fit into this promise that is based on faith? Answer, verses 23 to 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We weren't good enough to work our way to faith. We would never instinctually choose faith if merely given the option. Faith had to be one for us. Jesus Christ gave up his own place of pure harmony, belonging with God, and took our curse in our place on the cross. The one who already belonged, gave up his belonging, took on our curse, took on our sinful instinct so that we could belong. There is faith, there is belonging, there is a place within the children of God because Christ gave up all of the above for us. Christ sacrificed everything on the cross because God promised long, long ago that the heirs of the covenant, children of faith, would be saved. God follows through on his promises because that's who he is. And God did the unimaginable to fulfill his promise with his people because that is who he is. Verses 28, 29, the last few verses of our passage say this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In the midst of depression, you belong to Christ. In the midst of a pandemic, you belong to Christ. In the midst of the emotional pain too unbearable to speak aloud, you belong to Christ. Through the shut-in, you belong to Christ. Through the addiction that brings a seemingly endless amount of shame, you belong to Christ. You belong. Not because of what you can do for him, but because of what he has done for you. You have been set free from the curse, and that's a promise. I'll finish with a story that's been bouncing around in my head all week. Dr. Todd Billings is a friend, a mentor. He was a professor of mine at Western Theological Seminary. He's really, really stupidly smart. Uh, He's thought of as one of the world's premier Reformed theologians. He's written books, podcasts, speaking engagements, the whole thing. When he was 39 years old, his meteoric rise within the church and the academy hit a wall. He's diagnosed with incurable cancer. He has perpetual treatments to keep the cancer at bay, and they prolong his life. And the initial treatments, uh, they were awful. They were scary. They were painful. Through the nausea, through the bodily pain, he reassured himself by repeating one thing over and over and over. It comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one. And the question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a promise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.